other. Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew 28. We've been in a series together the last few weeks entitled, Dare to be a Disciple, a Real Follower of Jesus. And we've been looking at this Great Commission Scripture a number of different times, and I want us to hold it in our hands and and look at it together. I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to read it silently. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, pull it up on your phone, or you can look over here to your right, my left. It's what's inscribed on the wall. It's this command, it's this commission that Jesus has given to all of us and to each of us at the same time. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I want to pause right there, and I want us this morning to look at that last sentence I just shared, teaching them to obey the things I have commanded you, Jesus says. Now there's one operative word in there that's that's super important and if we miss it we could miss everything else and this morning's message is more of a teaching than it is preaching i mean there's a message here and there'll be some proclaiming but it's more of a teaching you know we have to catch things sometimes we need to be taught some things and if we miss out on that it can skew everything else it's in a lot of things in life you may glance over something that was taught to you and if you don't catch it it can have dire consequences Uh, this last couple weeks I got this silly idea in my mind that I guess I thought I was a 12-year-old boy and I could still do some tricks on my bicycle. I don't really know why I thought this, but I did. And uh, I was watching some YouTube videos of a guy giving some instruction, teaching on how to do a bunny hop. You know what a bunny hop is? I didn't, but uh, I watched it and I thought, I can do that. He took this whole motion of lifting the front wheel up and then the back wheel comes up and you hop over a log. I thought that could just come in handy. I'm not sure why, but that would be a great skill to have. And and so I watched this video over and over and over and I heard the things that he said and I watched what he did, but I didn't watch it close enough because when I went out to practice this, I I envisioned so many great things happening in my mind. But what happened was is I pulled the front wheel up, kept my weight over the seat and And I remembered on the video, if you feel like you're going back too far, you just do the back brake, and then that will bring the bicycle down. And I pulled the bike up, I got scared, and I slammed on the back brake, and the bike instantly stopped, and I did not. And I went over the top. And I went back and saw the video, and it said, don't just grab the brake, touch the brake. And it said, make sure your weight is clear over the back tire, not over the seat. And these things were taught to me, but I didn't listen to them. I didn't catch them. And it hurt not only my wrist, but it hurt my pride a whole lot more. You know, in all kinds of things, there's dire consequences when we kind of hear something, but we don't really receive it. We haven't really learned what it means. And, and my fear this morning is we're learning what it means to be a real disciple, a real follower of Jesus. So many of us, you don't even need to look to the wall. We have this memorized, but this last part, teaching them to obey the things that I have commanded you, do we really catch why that's so significant? I don't think this was just a signing off in Jesus' great commission to us. There's a great importance of what obedience is. And this word obey, we don't like that word obey too much. And before we can dive into the teaching this morning, let's look at what we mean by obedience. In our culture, it's what Webster would tell us is compliance with an order, a request, or a law, or submission to another's authority. And we think about obedience and we kind of cringe. If, if you think about obey, you have some kind of mental picture in your mind. Maybe it's of 
a rolled up newspaper and a command you give to your dog. Maybe it's the squirt bottle with water in it that you spray at your dog when they don't do what you want them to do. Or, or you think if it's of it's of some kind of condescending thing. You may think of some kind of a sinful, controlling, domineering atmosphere. But we don't like the thought of obedience. And I think before we can even receive the teaching today, we have to answer this question. What's the big deal about obedience? I mean, really, we're talking about being a disciple and we know he's God and I'm not. But, but why emphasize this word obedience? Can't we... Can't we in our culture in 2015 choose a different word? I mean, this is so politically incorrect to obey, to be obedient. I did a Google search this week for quotes on obedience. Just thought that'd be kind of fun to do. I was surprised. It was just about every quote was on how you should not obey or how you should resist much, obey little, or, or all these things. It was almost as this idea that obedience is sinful, it's wrong, it's, it, you don't fall in the trap of obeying anything. Be your own person, do what you want to do. And I quickly saw that we need to look at what is the big deal with obedience. first thing that's a big deal for us even to catch with this teaching today is the fact that we can't teach what we have not learned. It's not rocket science. Teaching them to obey the things that I have commanded you, me. So for us to be obedient, for us to be a disciple, for us to be a Christian, we are to be making disciples, and part of that is teaching them to obey what has been commanded to us. You can't say, do as I say, but not as I do, not in the school of Christ. You have to say, I am going to be following Christ. As Paul says, as I follow Christ, you follow me. There has to be an aspect of what we have learned to be obedient to Christ. So that's one reason that obedience is a big deal. It's this requirement in relationship that gives obedience. I don't know if it's resonated with you that you and I are commissioned, we are commanded by Jesus, not only to reach people, but to teach them to obey Christ. We need to know what Christ has commanded. That's very important. If I don't know his his word, then, then that's a problem. But it's more than just knowing his word. I need to have an obedient lifestyle. It's more than just teaching someone a list of rules. It's this relationship that obedience elicits out of us. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey me. Well, what's the big deal with obedience? I think it's also a big deal because we have confused instant obedience with God with mindless obedience to man. And I think sometimes our culture's problem with this word obedience is because we've experienced someone or something, somebody's sinful, fallen view of their command, and we've been hurt by a call to obey. And so this idea to, to not just mindlessly obey is, is not a bad thing. We shouldn't just mindlessly obey earthly authority. We should have some thought to it. But the problem is we've exchanged it. And we resist instant obedience to God, and far too often we just embrace mindless obedience of man. Now, we need to catch this, that we don't have to filter through our mind what it is that's okay for us to obey from God or not. If he says it, it's good enough for us to obey. Now, when we look at man's authority, it's not a bad thing to have a filter to say, okay, is this the right thing? Now, I want to remind us, that the only appropriate way to filter earthly authority is through what God has told us, what God has said. So if you don't like what one of your earthly authority is saying, and it's just against your opinion, or it just kind of ruffles your feathers, but it doesn't appear to be opposition or apart from God's law, we're called to submission to that. 
But that's a whole other sermon. But the reason that this is, is a big deal is that often we confuse instant obedience with God with mindless obedience to man. It's appropriate to have resistance or some kind of filtering for one, but not the other. Yet we still have resistance to obedience. One of these quotes that I mentioned a moment ago, Walt Whitman, I think in his words, summarizes our culture's problem with obedience. Resist much, obey little. It's this idea that it's in the resistance that things happen well, and it's in the obedience that we get taken advantage of. And this may be true for a sinful authority, but in holy, righteous God, it is absolutely backwards. It's as if obedience is something that should be avoided. It's something that's evil. It's something that we should strive never to fall into. Another big deal about obedience is the fact that whether you like it or not, everybody is obedient to someone or something. Every person is obedient. No, not me. Yeah, you are. You're obedient to your emotion. You're obedient to your desire. You're obedient to your addiction to comfort. Your addiction to self control and and being in control your addiction to pleasure you're obedient to to that ever fickle pleasing of the crowd you're obedient to whatever ebb and flow that the culture says this is what you should value you're obedient to something you're obedient to what it is you want so the goal is not to be absent of obedience and live in defiance the goal is to know what is worthy of living in obedience to but all this i think is summed up in a need for a new picture of obedience the the next couple of minutes of what i share it's not going to be crazy long but this teaching if we don't have a new picture of obedience we won't receive it we'll stay arms folded we'll stay frustrated and we won't catch what needs to happen And, and when we don't catch an important truth and what is being taught to us it can have dire consequences it's a whole lot more than flipping over the handlebars it ends in destruction and death it ends in feeling so horrible about yourself it's being defeated there is victory when you understand this there is freedom when you understand this there's joy when you understand this so we need to catch this piece and we need a new picture i think some of us need to trade in this picture that we have when we think of obedience When you think of obey or obedience, you may think of the drill sergeants with veins popping and lips all curled as he cries out insults and hurls these negative thoughts and puts down to you because I can train you if you understand how horrible you are. Now, I've never trained an army, and this may be a very good method to train an army, but you need to know this is not the picture of obedience that Christ gives to us. This is not the picture of what Scripture talks to us about what obedience is as a blessing. And we can refuse and resist God because we think this is a picture of God screaming at us. And I like this soldier there just kind of trying to say something. What what does this guy want me to say back to him? Yes, sir. Do I not? Do I speak? What do I not do? And we have this picture of God. But I think if we exchange it for this better picture of what God has for us in obedience, is this next picture, if you'll put that up there. See, every time in Scripture when God says, don't, he's saying, don't, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt someone else. Whenever he says, do this, he's saying, it's going to bless you. It's going to bless someone else. And in time, he may choose to explain some things to you. He may not. 
Now, if we would look at a parent who's a loving parent talking to this toddler, they, I don't think they would sit down and say, no, no, listen, Johnny, I need to tell you that, see that red glow there on the oven? That is the heat that is, is, is radiating out of the surface of that. You may be able to see some of the heat waves. And if you would put your hand on that, then it would cause the skin to blister and the heat would burn your skin and the pain sensors in your hand would go to your brain. And it would hurt. The parent would just say, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the oven. Now, is this this evil killjoy of a mom or a dad? No, it's because they love them. I actually didn't want to use this picture. I, I was Googling a picture of a parent saying no to their kid, and I was, I was floored. I couldn't find any. If you find one, give me one. I want to have a good picture of a parent saying no to their kid in an appropriate way. All I found was pictures of parents screaming at kids or saying no to kids with a circle and a line through it. And it, it was kind of an aha moment for me. Our culture is saying, don't ever say no to your kids. Find another way. Redirect. Now, I'm not saying you need to be overbearing, but, but really? Sometimes the most loving thing you can say is, stop it. Because I love you. No. Because I love you. And it helps me see a picture like this. And I go, of course. The, the mom or dad would say, don't touch that. Well, as we see that picture, I want us now to look at obedience in Scripture. So let's look at our notes here together. And as I walk through just a brief teaching of how we can find obedience in Scripture, there's just... Three areas that we're going to look at. We could take like a month to go through this, but we're just going to look briefly at this. I want to start at the beginning. Obedience in Scripture. We begin with paradise, and so we're going to look at Genesis, the Garden of Eden, and this was God's first plan for, for us. And in Genesis two sixteen, we read that the Lord commands man and says, Hey, Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit of this one tree. All the other trees are fine, but this one tree, the tree of life, don't eat from the fruit of this. Uh, stay away from this. Later on in chapter 3, we begin to see that some things have taken place. The serpent comes and tempts Eve, and you know the story. She takes a bite of the apple, and then she gives the fruit to Adam. And before we get all excited about how Eve blew it, guys, we weren't that much better. We just follow suit, and we take a bite, and, and we're living in disobedience to, to the Father. And then after they were in disobedience, there was this awareness and their guilt of their nakedness and their shame. And then God says to them, who told you that you were naked? How did you know that? Have you eaten from the tree which I have commanded that you should not eat? And right there from that disobedience, they were led out of the garden. Now note, obedience to God's commands is the one condition that Adam and Eve had to abide in the garden. It wasn't that this command that they had to worship this way. It wasn't the command that they had to believe this set of beliefs. It was the command to obey. And when they did not obey, it led them out of relationship with the Father, out of the garden. Now let's look towards the end of the Bible. Revelation twenty-two fourteen says, Blessed are those who do His commands, that they may have the right to see, right, excuse me, to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. See, from the beginning... To the end, from paradise lost to paradise regained, the law is unchangeable. It's only in obedience that gives access to the tree of life and the favor of God. There's this hinging, there's this linchpin in obedience. It unlocks things and it locks things. There was only one thing that could change this disobedience at the beginning that closed the way to the tree of life. Only one thing that would make possible this call to obedience here at the end in Revelation would make it possible. It was the great obedience in the middle of Scripture or in the New Testament 
the obedience of Christ. Let's look at the cross. Look at Christ and the obedience. We talked about it a little bit this morning before we were partaking of communion together. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many were made righteous. Don't miss this. Because one man chooses to disobey, all must die. But because one man chooses to obey, obedience unto death, all may have life. So what's the big deal about obedience? Isn't this just about some kind of mental faith that I have or some kind of outward task that I do? It's at the very core of what it means to live for Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, is to be obedient to Christ. Not for those that are really good disciples, but not like the intermediate disciples. All disciples teach all of them to obey the things that He has commanded to us. We need to be in obedience to Christ. We need to be teaching others to be in obedience to Christ. Philippians 2.8 And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, for those of us who've been in church for a long time, there's a nugget for us here. I don't know how we've picked it up, but somewhere we've got this idea that I just love God. He's so gracious, and He's gracious. He's so loving, and He's loving. That really, He doesn't mean that I should obey in everything. Because I'm human. I shouldn't obey in everything. Now, before we're done this morning, we're going to talk about the appropriate understanding of grace and the inappropriate thought that we can do it in our own strength. This is not saved by my works. No, 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 I'm saved by faith and grace alone. But I'm saved to a life of obedience Not just wherever I want it to be. I'm saved to be like Christ. And Christ was obedient unto death. And it's this thought of, am I obedient to death? Am I obedient painstakingly to everything that He reveals to me? Just stick that in your hopper and let it marinate and think for a moment. Andrew Murray is... Credited with saying, as disobedience in Adam and in us was the one thing that wrought death. So obedience in Christ and in us is the one thing that the gospel makes known as the way of restoration to God in his favor. Paradise, Calvary, heaven, all proclaim with one voice, child of God, the first and the last thing that God asks of you is simple, universal, or total, unchanging obedience like the word obey we should quit saying that exchange the picture of the drill sergeant for the parent who is a loving parent i didn't have a loving parent brady well let that be a a stark contrast to your heavenly father everything that your father or mother did wrong this is a perfect heavenly father a perfect loving parent who is saying listen i am calling you to a life now that's what it is let's look at this secret to true obedience it's not complicated it's not hard We don't have to take tons and tons of time to do this. But let's look at the secret to true obedience. It's first found in Jesus' example. We're never told to obey, and then we don't really know how. God doesn't say, obey me, go find the needle in the haystack. Let's see if you can figure it out, dumb human. No. He says, I've sent my son that we can open up a relationship so so I can guide you. I'm going to show you how to be obedient. All you have to do is say, Yes to me. That's it. You don't have to memorize anything else. 
You don't have to mastermind anything else. In fact, many of us, our problem is we so crave a map for our life. And God is saying, put the map down. Just take the compass. You just need to go true north with me. And I will tell you which way is north. But I don't know when the valleys are coming or when the hills are coming or when the rest stop is coming. No, you don't. I do, God says. Lay down the map, pick up the compass, and let me lead you. It's obedience where there's freedom in that. So here's the example of Christ. The first part of Christ's example is this. The obedience of Christ was a life principle. In other words, it was a way of life. Obedience with him did not mean a single act of obedience every now and then. It was not an event or a series of events, but it was the spirit, the tone of his whole life was to be obedient to the Father. I came not for my own will, but I came to do the will of the Father, Jesus says. He come to this world for one purpose, to live out and carry out the will of the Father. The one supreme, all-controlling power over his life was to be obedient to the Father. And he is willing to make that possible in us. This was what he promised when Jesus said this, Whoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, they're the same as my brother, my sister, my mother. So in other words, Jesus is saying, if you obey the Father the way I'm obeying the Father, it's just like you're my sister, you're my brother, you're my mother. What? Jesus is saying, there is this family connection There is a unique common bond in a family. There's a family trait. And the family trait that we have with Christ is that our purpose is to be obedient to what the Father says. When you live this way, you become like me. There's a family trait because we as disciples obey what the Father says. Second, it wasn't just a way of life. The obedience of Christ, it just oozes joy. Now, for some of us who've been around church for a long time, this is something that we also have missed. I delight to do your will, O God. My meat is to do the will of He that has sent me. In other words, our food is refreshment. It's invigorating to our soul. A healthy man eats his bread or his food with gladness. But food is more than just enjoyment. It's necessary for life. And so doing the will of God was food for Christ. He hungered after that which he could not live without hearing the will of the Father. This one thing, following and obeying the Father, satisfied his hunger. This one thing refreshed him and strengthened him and it made him glad it brought joy. So what the world says is a screaming drill sergeant with veins popping and lips all curled up screaming insults at you is so backwards to what God says. It's a parent saying, hey, just listen. If you trust me and follow me and obey me, you're going to crave it. You're going to. You're going to long to hear the next thing that I say because you're going to see it proven in your life that when you obey me, it is not only good for you, it's good for everybody around you. It was something of this that David meant when he spoke of God's word being sweeter than honey, than of the honeycomb. And when we understand this and accept this, obedience will be more natural to us and more necessary to us, more refreshing to us than daily food Friend, I believe that to be a rock-solid truth, not just some kind of hyperbole. 
As much as you start to get a headache if you don't have food, or you start to get kind of woozy if you don't have food, as much as some of you get grumpy when you don't eat. I've been around you. Some of you get grumpy when you don't eat. As much as you depend on that food to keep your body in balance for the medication you take and all the other things, it will be even more important than that, your healthy dependency on obedience to Christ. That seems awful lofty and high up. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this in you, remember? Follow me, and I'll make you into something you're not. Follow me, and I will teach you what joy there is in obeying. Well, let's go on to the third one. Obedience of Christ. Not only was a a lifestyle, a life principle, not only was there joy, but obedience of Christ led to waiting on God. God did not reveal all of His will to Christ at once, but day by day, According to the circumstances of the hour, he revealed the next piece of the map. In his life of obedience, there was growth and there was progress. The most difficult lesson came at the end when he was giving his very life on the cross. Each act of obedience fitted him, prepared him for the next act of obedience. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. It's when we are obedient... And this obedience becomes a passion of our life that our ears open and we hear him more. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But he waited on God's call. The final thing of understanding this example of Christ's obedience is obedience of Christ was unto death. We talked about it a little bit earlier. When he spoke that I came not to do my will but the Father's will, he was serious about it. It wasn't just kind of some kind of a bumper sticker slogan that he didn't live out. It was every ounce in him I will die before I disobey. That seems extreme until you understand that disobedience leads to death anyway. In essence, Jesus is saying, if I disobey, it leads to death. If I obey and it leads to physical death, I have eternal life. I'm giving life to others. And when we begin to grasp that when I toy with disobeying God, I'm just toying with death. And it puts into perspective the cost of this obedience. Now, that was Jesus' example. What is the secret to true obedience? Not only in Jesus' example, but, but true obedience, it requires a relationship. Now, don't miss this. It's this relationship with Christ that makes this possible. The expression of obeying God is not just in a command. It's very few times in Scripture, it's there, but few times is obeying God expressed as obey this command, but most of the time it's obey me, listen to my voice. When we begin to see that there is something in hearing the voice of God, we see there's a relationship tied to it. Listen to Murray's words one more time. All our attempts after full obedience will be failures until we get access to His abiding fellowship. It is God's holy presence, consciously abiding with us, that keeps us from disobeying Him. So in essence, it's not my willpower, it's not me pulling myself up by my bootstraps, it's not turning over a new leaf, doing better. No, the secret to true obedience is the return to a close and continual fellowship with God. And if I was writing that, I would say also, you can't have a close and abiding relationship with God and be in right relationship with Him and just choosing where you want to obey. They go hand in hand. Now, We are tempted to think that there's some myths about obedience and we begin to get all hung up on these. 
I want you to have this because I don't think victory comes. I think Satan will take this teaching and he will bring frustration in your life if we don't expose these lies of Satan. Here's one of the first myths I want us to look at. This myth of learning true obedience is this. Absolute obedience as a principle or a lifestyle, the tone of my life, is a thing that I can only learn gradually. I think a lot of us have bought into this. That I can only have a lifestyle of total obedience just a little bit at a time. We are tempted to think that this absolute obedience as a principle or a lifestyle, this obedience unto death is something we can only learn year after year after year. This is a huge and very hurtful mistake. We have to learn, and we do learn gradually in some things, but this is learning in the practice of obedience not the principle or the lifestyle of obedience. We learn how in practice where there's new areas to obey, but it's not this new idea of obeying. Let me put it like this. A 12-year-old boy can live in total obedience to God just as much as a 42-year-old man can live in total obedience to God. Now, the 12-year-old boy is going to learn the practice of obeying, but he doesn't have to relearn what it means to say, if God says it, I'm going to obey. Here's why. When we come to God, imagine a big flashlight shining a beam of light down and everything else is darkness. God calls us to obedience in the light that he has shown to us. And as we grow in him, he moves the light. And so as the 12-year-old boy becomes 14 and 18 and 25 and and, and 32 and, and grows, the light is moved and there's new practices of obedience. But it doesn't have to be that he goes, Oh, I never thought to obey God in everything that he tells me. You see, what obedience looked like for me when I was 8 is different than what obedience looked like for me when I was 18. But neither one was partial obedience. It was a call for total obedience. Oh, it feels like a riddle, Brady. I'm trying to hang on to this. What I'm saying is, Satan is going to get you to believe today, oh, I can't do that. Obedience unto death? That's for someone like super spiritual like Pastor Rex. Not for me. I can't, I can't do that. I mean, he's a servant everywhere he goes. Every time I see him, he's just serving and he's doing something and loving on people and, and he's, he's always willing to go the extra mile. That's a, that's a Pastor Rex. That's not a me. Disciple, obey the things I've commanded you. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey me. You, you'll live like me. Philippians, we should have the attitude of Christ. Obedience unto death. We are to say, God, all I can see is what you've shown me. But whatever you show me, I'm going to be obedient to. Now, He may show more things to someone else, and that's on them. But whatever God shows you, you and I are to move in obedience to that. This myth can be settled when we remember God's rule, all for all. If we give Him all, He gives us all. We don't give Him part, and we wonder why we only receive part of His blessing. Consecration means nothing unless it means giving everything of ourself to God. A second myth is this. We get all hung up here and trying to look at this obedience thing. We believe this lie. I must know God's will for my life before I obey. No. That sounds good. No. What that's saying is, God, tell me what you want me to do. I'm going to weigh in on it and see if I'll do it. More often than not, not all the time, more often than not, wisdom from God requires obedience to what he's already said. Well, I don't know what he said. Yeah, you do. You know something that he's told you. Well, that's not pertaining to what I want to know. Uh, Exactly. 
You obey into areas that maybe you're not concerned about, and it, re- it releases wisdom and direction in other areas. Friend, so many times we get frustrated that we don't hear God's voice, and God's saying, you haven't obeyed what I've already told you. Does it make any sense to pray for guidance about the future if we're not willing to obey the thing that lies before us today? How many monumentous events in Scripture depend on one person's seemingly small act of obedience? Rest assured, do what God tells you to do now and depend on it, and you will be shown what to do next after you obey. The the final myth is, is this. I hate this myth. It rhymes. I think there's a few songs that have this, and, and maybe there's a place for it. So if you wrote a song with these words, then I love you, but I don't get this. I will do my best, and I'll give God the rest. Blech. Here's why I don't like that. I think if what it's trying to say is, I'm just going to do what I can, and God is strong enough to help me, because if God's for me, who can be against me? Okay, then that's good. But here's what I think we do with that phrase. I'm going to work hard, do my best. Because I'm not perfect, there's going to be some things I can't give. So I'm going to give God the things I fail at, but I'm going to do everything I can. Friend, your best and my best are so puny, we shouldn't even start without being obedient to God. We shouldn't even start without saying, God, here it is. It's that Christmas gift that you get for your kids that is really a chore for you that you have to assemble together. It seemed great at the store when you buy it for them, but now you have to assemble it. And you put it all together and you have the extra pieces. You know what I'm talking about, dads? And you look at those extra pieces and you go, what are these for? Well, they're not necessary. I think we do that with our life. We try to put our life together, put the situation together, put work together, business together, the marriage together, and we have pieces left over. We say, God, I've done my best. Here's the rest. And he says, why didn't you bring it to me to begin with? We could have built this the right way. See, God is saying to you, obedience is not this thing that you should strive to get away from. It's a gift to you. With this thought i'll close this morning if we can only see the blessings of obedience i think it would radically change our view of it oh when shall we learn how unspeakingly pleasing obedience is in the sight of god and how unspeakable is the reward he bestows upon it the way to be a blessing to the world is to be men and women of obedience knowing by god and the world by this that we are utterly given up to God's will in our life. As simple as I could put it, if we would just begin to see that when we obey God, it's a gift. Growing up, my dad was an evangelist and we traveled 45 weeks a year and very rarely do I ever remember worrying about where we were going to go next. I don't remember worrying about what we were going to eat. I didn't remember worrying about, did we have directions to the next town? I quickly learned that if I was next to dad, I would eat. If I was next to dad, I'd have a place to sleep. Sometimes he'd ask me to do some things I didn't like, but it was always good. So home for me was not a particular town. It was not a building. It was not a house. Home was where dad was. Friend, I hesitate to use examples about earthly fathers and mothers because I don't know what yours was like. Maybe they were a pitiful excuse of a mother or father. But I want you to think of the most perfect father that blows them away is your heavenly father. Now, in response today, you've listened so well. Teaching's done. But on your bulletin is a little sticky note. And I want you to pull out that sticky note right now. If you didn't get a bulletin or you've lost your sticky note or you used it to put your gum in, (laughs) you didn't know you needed it, 
just raise your hand for any of those reasons, the ushers will bring you a sticky note. I'd like everybody to have a sticky note today. And, and so ushers, help me out. Just make your way down the aisle. And if you need one, just give them a glance. They'll give you a sticky note. Here's what I want us to do. If we could even grasp what it does to the heart of the Father, when we say, God, I've heard you, and I'm going to obey. Parents, when you get a note from your kids that say, I love you, that's great. Can you imagine getting a note from your kids and saying, hey, Mom, I heard you that I need to make my bed. I just want to write you a note and tell you that, that I'm going to do it. That'd warm my heart. That'd be a great thing. Well, I, I read the scripture where it says that obedience is better than sacrifice. So our response today, if you need to pray, then you pray. But I think for most of us, God has already been speaking to you about something in your life, maybe not even today, that he's calling you to obey. So in just a moment, Pastor Edgar is going to sing one verse of this song. I want you to write a word, a phrase. You don't have to put your name on it. It may be God's calling you to obey in finances. Just write finances. It may be that God is calling you to obey in changing your language. Write changing my language. It may be on something that I haven't even touched on today, but you write it down and after we have a time to write it down, I'm going to invite you as you leave today as an act of obedience, because that's better than sacrifice. We're going to come and we're just going to stick them on the altar. Now, in the Old Testament, the altar is not like nicely stained, veneered pieces of wood that we come kneel at. This is a place where the sacrifice took place. That they opened up a relationship. (laughs) I want you to catch this picture. Because some of you right now are going, I'm not doing that. I don't need to write anything down on a sticky note. I'm not going to walk up front. i got to go out. We're already late. Hey, just hold on. Listen, listen. This is what God wants for you as a gift. I want you to have the mental image before you leave today. As you walk down and you put your sticky note of obedience, you're going to see there's, there's other obedience there. And this way that opens up life, that the sacrifice that opens up life, is the obedient one in Jesus Christ. And what it means to be a disciple is to do this. It's to say, I've heard you. I'm going to obey. That's what warms God's heart. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like. But friend, if we don't get good at saying, God, I will obey first, I will listen second. I will obey first, I will look for direction second. I'm going to act on it right away. You will flip over the handlebars of life, and you will not only break a bone, you will be defeated. But there is joy that is ready to be unleashed. So Pastor Edgar, sing a verse of this song. I encourage you, church, with me. Write down on this sticky note. In just a moment, we'll be out of here and we'll be leaving and giving our obedience to the Lord. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of Abides with us still.
church, would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, as we hold these slips of paper in our hand, we ask that you will receive these as our love notes of obedience today. Lord, as this day and this weekend will be full of all kinds of things and hopefully laughter and fun and time with family, Lord, we ask that you would give us the family trait of Jesus, the common link between us and Jesus, that we'll look like sisters and brothers and mothers to Jesus because of how we obey obedience unto death. So Lord, in this little, silly, simple act of faith, would you burn this image today in our mind that we are saying yes to you and we are hungry to have a life of obedience. We do this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Church, as you leave today, I would invite you to bring your slip. Just stick it on the altar. And as you go, thank God for His power to help you obey.